You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Otson Audible's podcast uh, post-signing day show. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. On today's show, it's Thursday the 21st, and hey, look, there's still one more guy out there that Oregon's waiting to see if he commits to Oregon. There's actually more than that, uh, but a majority of Oregon's class has signed 25 commits, 25 signed letters of intent, and now they'll wait the next couple of days to see if they add one or two more. But basically, Oregon's class is in. It's the best class in school history. We're going to break it down. Uh, Number five class in the country. Uh, we'll break that down. We'll also dive into just the each position offensively and defensively. And we'll start right now with quarterback uh, on the offensive side of the football. Just let's let's count. We have to count the, the portal guys. So it's it's three. They didn't announce Dylan Gabriel. We do know he has signed, though. Um, they just didn't want to talk about transfers on the day of high school and Juco guys. And we'll take the attention away from that. But we do know. Dylan Gabriel has signed. Um, we do know Dante Moore has committed. We don't know if he signed or not, but he's committed. And then they've also announced the signing of three-star quarterback Luke Moga. Um, we'll start with Moga there because we've talked a lot about Moore and Gabriel already. But right, uh, three-star kid from from Sunny Slope, Phoenix, Arizona, um, a guy that's like the anchor of his track team uh, this past spring. Um, widely athletic and I, I it's not meant to be a, a deterrent but he's a developmental guy he, he's he's coming in to, to be developed and if, if he plays at Oregon it's going to be in two three four years down the road yeah I think he's pretty aware of the fact that immediate playing time isn't available right I mean he he's tweeted out the iron sharpens iron right after Dante Moore committed earlier this week he knows Don, Dylan Gabriel is here too he knows two, maybe three years from now is when his opportunity will arise. And even then it's not clear. And to your point, Matt, like there were whispers out there 
probably in the last month that they were talking about like is he athletic enough to play a different position at some point like if, if quarterback doesn't work out could he play receiver could he play safety I don't think that's what the plan is but that's the type of athlete at least you're talking about um and you go watch the film I'm mean, like Dan said it when you what really stands out is just his ability to run like his ability to scramble and make things happen with his legs like he's special in that regard and I think the arm talent is there um but you can also see that like there's there's some kind of mechanical stuff maybe and i'm not a quarterback guru so it's hard for me to like sit here and explain what i'm talking about exactly but it doesn't maybe it's a little longer of a release choppy of a release i don't know the exact way of putting it maybe jared can help out with that part but regardless he comes in here he knows he's got some time to develop and the passing part will will come and when it does if it does i guess i should say you'd be looking at a really dynamic dual threat guy. Now, again, that's three or four years down the line from now. I think that's fine. And we will see what that development looks like. But athletically, he is going to separate himself from most prep quarterbacks you'll see coming into a program because he can really, really move. And sometimes those are the things that you can't teach. You can't really teach the fact that he has this insane speed and is able to make people miss. Uh, sometimes you can add to that, um, but it's kind of hard to just uh, you know teach just insane speed, and that's what Luke Moga possesses. But that's clearly his best skill trait as of this point um, in his recruiting and his development as a player. Um, he's going to need to work on himself as a quarterback because that's the position that he is. Um, but again, this is a 17, 18 year old kid for, um, you know, the duration of his Oregon commitment. And, uh, you know, like a lot of 17 to 18 year old quarterbacks, they struggle with doing some of the things that Luke Moga does as well, you know, reading a defense to deciding, uh, you know, how to progress through his reads, um, you know, like the simple things you kind of take for granted when you have an elite quarterback at either the college or the NFL level. Um, these are real problems that you have to develop and work through, uh, similar to what uh, Bonex showed at Oregon, even though he was a fourth and fifth year guy, like he still developed into the point where he could read all the defenses and figure out what play to use and go through and progress through his reads uh, at a fast rate. And, you know, Moga, like you guys both said, um, this is going to be a three to four year deal. And if it's not, then that means that he's made a huge jump in development. And that would be obviously a very welcomed addition um into the Oregon quarterback room but they don't need him to necessarily be uh anybody who's going to perform in year one or year two and that's a nice thing and for Moga you know that puts some pressure off of his shoulders because they don't need him to perform right away and he knows this and it's going to be a very intense it's going to be a fierce quarterback room just the way Oregon has recruited they already have a guy in 25 so it's going to be competition year after year after year um and and that's a good thing and so i, I think it's it's obviously overall a very solid quarterback class and but i think that moga is just a good developmental piece and if he comes in and if he does anything in his third or fourth year i think that's considered a win all right next up one of the first guys to get his national letter of intent in that was dewan riggs a running back from washington dc st john's high school this is a bigger back um six foot 202 pounds already a guy that's over a thousand yards all purpose and i think i didn't really put two and two together until close to, to signing day but uh, this is a guy that a little bit in terms of usage like bucky irving 
someone that had 662 yards and six touchdowns rushing and then 26 catches. That's a lot for a high school running back. Um, almost 340 yards, two scores there. Uh, just another interesting piece that comes from a long ways away, but it's maybe a diamond in the rough type guy. Yeah, really explosive. I think that's what stands out. And to your point, like I kind of watched him and thought running back, but like maybe slot receiver is something that could happen. I'm, I'm not saying that's what will, but like he has that sort of skill set and those movement skills. Um, I I think. Ooh, I'm the captain. Oh no, I was gonna say I was in the not first anymore. chair for a second. Um, no, I I I really like this prospect, and I. I'd like to talk to our ratings team because I'm just surprised he's this far down the pecking order to a certain degree. Um, but that doesn't deter for me much of anything. I'm excited by this guy. I, I do think um, there's upside maybe as a return guy as well if you go watch what he does. And I also think he's probably similar to Moga, not somebody you're going to need to get much out of for a couple of years. And I think that's fine too. And I will be curious to see what happens with his body because he's kind of almost like a leaner 200 pounds. I wonder if he could play at 215 and could keep some of that explosiveness and, and carry a little more power. Because you watch him now, he's more of a one-cut, get-up field, run-away-from-people guy as opposed to a Jordan James, Bucky Irving, where they sometimes take on contact. But I really like the prospect. And, and again, I think the ranking doesn't match what I – saw on film, not that I'm a recruiting ranking expert. Yeah, Riggs just, you know, he played at St. John's Prep in Washington, D.C., the same high school that Colin Gill, Oregon's 2023 uh, cornerback, went to. It's just not the best competition, and I think that's what really dings him. It's kind of similar to, to Moga and Sunny Slope. Like, it's not the best competition in the area, and he should be doing what he's doing to that kind of competition where he's like a one-cut and runs away because – He's going to Oregon. He's a you know top 800 player in the country. He has multiple Power Five offers. Like that's the type of player that he should be. That being said, I do like what I see on tape from him. Um, I think he's more like no, uh, he's more like Noah Whittington to me in the fact that he um, is a bigger body, but is a little bit lighter, a little bit smaller than what Bucky Irving is. Um, although I think Whittington actually gained like 10 pounds this past offseason before being injured, um, but he has room to add to his frame. Uh, I think he's obviously more of a pass catcher than than Whittington is and has more of those Bucky-like traits out of the backfield. But um, I think that he you know, obviously is going to have time to develop. They have Jaden Lamar. They brought in Jay Harris to transfer from Northwest Missouri State, um, who, I, who I think is going to be interesting. I don't know what to make of him, but I do really like his tape. But, he, again, it's kind of the same thing. It's like he's playing against lesser competition. He played at the D2 level. Riggs is playing at lesser Washington, D.C. area high school level football. Um, but I like his tape. I think he has a lot of good breakaway speed. I think he can be an impact guy. Um, and I think you'd feel mildly comfortable if he had to come in in his freshman year and do something similar to how you felt about Jaden Lamar. It's like, it's a, it's running back, like just don't fumble the ball and then, you know, hit your cuts and go through the holes that the offensive line presents you and you should be good. So uh, I think it'll be a year or two um, until he starts to really make an impact on the Oregon team in general. But um, I, I, I really just honestly have to trust Carlos Lachlan at this point. He's done such a good job of finding talent, developing talent. Um, how many fumbles the last two years on the running back room? One it was Bucky Irving against Utah this year. It's incredible. Um, it's incredible. It's very incredible. It's really good coaching and development by Carlos Lachlan. Um, and that just kind of seems like another guy. Uh, it, you just kind of have to trust him until he 
produces a dud, to be honest with you, because he's done a really good job as a running back coach. So I'm excited to see what he looks like when he gets to campus. Um, and honestly, probably during the spring game and probably against Hawaii when they go there and win by 48 points next year. Um, this is the, the the year where it's definitely you have to trust in, in Lachlan's evaluation because they've added two guys to the class. Uh, Riggs, who's a three-star running back, that's the 68th best player at his position. And then the other player that they've added is a D2 All-American, but he's still D2, uh, and Jay Harris from the transfer portal. Um, it's they're, they're, it's probably not as sexy as maybe as people anticipated, maybe year three of Oregon football looking from a recruiting standpoint, but very productive. And to Jared's point, this is the year you have to just trust in the evaluation, which, to, like you said, like they've knocked it out of the park uh, at this position and multiple other avenues of, of evals. Um, all right, let's move over to wide receiver now. And this is one where there was some confidence maybe in March, April, that, hey, this is going to be a really good group. And then towards the end, after a couple of decommitments throughout the season, one from Jordan Anderson, who was a, who was a four-star receiver, um, late in the process, you're kind of like, are they really only going to sign one player and three-star Jack Wrestler? Um, a guy that had an up and down senior season at Matter Day High School. Then they started bringing in some portal guys. Then those portal guys started going elsewhere. And then on signing day, uh, we kind of got some clarity, probably why maybe they weren't as aggressive in the portal. And it's because four star receiver Jeremiah McClellan, who was previously committed to Ohio State, and then four star wide receiver Ryan Pelham, who was previously committed to USC, both flipped and signed. We should note that they signed with Oregon uh, on National Signing Day. So now all of a sudden, a receiver room that looked like it was only going to have one days into National Signing Day has three, and two of some, two of them are complete game breaker type guys. I like both players on film. Um, McClellan probably is the one that could see the field sooner, but it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if Pelham is also on the football field in some capacity as a freshman during the 2024 football season. And don't forget uh, Dylan Gresham either. Oh, yes. Dylan Gresham completely forgot. It. That was as big of an important uh, keep as it was signing those other guys. Wow. I, completely omitted that guy. I was just going to say, though, the I, wonder, I think we should spend a little extra time here talking about the recruiting part of this as opposed to just the evaluations because I think Junior Adams deserves a salary bump or something. I don't know. A major pat on the back from those of us who don't have the ability to impact how much money he makes, at least, because what a 24 hours for a junior. I mean, like, like Matt laid out, it was possible they were going to lose Gresham and not sign anybody besides wrestler. And instead they go out and they keep Gresham, hold them off. I know Arizona, USC were both, uh, he visited both those schools in the last two weeks. Um, and then flipping McClellan from Ohio State, that just doesn't happen. You don't go to pick a guy from Ohio State who's a receiver no. who's this no, highly just regarded. Don't. just doesn't yeah. happen. And then, you know, I, I'm going to spend a, a little extra second on this part because, A, it's a big deal that Ryan Pelham's joining the signing class. But also, it just speaks to the shift in, you know, further solidifies the shift in the recruiting landscape where Oregon on signing day is the one taking big-time players from USC because – 
if you're an Oregon fan, you've been a fan for a long time. There was just always a sense that if you were going a heads up with a USC for a guy, this was, I'm talking five, 10 years ago, you were going to lose. And USC could just kind of come in at the last minute and it happened all the time. And they would just take the guy that Oregon was really, I remember Ray Maliona uh, was a, Ray Malioga was a linebacker that was like, I think a five-star recruit that was like the headliner of Oregon's class probably 12 years ago. And it didn't even seem like USC was interested in him. And then at the last minute they were, and they just grabbed him. Like, seemed like they started recruiting him a week before they flipped him kind of deal. That's what used to take place. And it's just, it was pretty eye-opening to me that Oregon was able to get that done and to get both of these guys. And to the point we're going about to make, like I think from an assessment perspective, these are really, really good receivers that both USC and Ohio State really coveted. So Heck of a job by Junior Adams. I'll let Jared take over in terms of the, uh, the player assessment part. But I just wanted to kind of acknowledge, like, great job by Junior. And then also just a sign of the changing landscape where Oregon's the one kind of coming in last minute, pulling a big-time recruit from USC and not vice versa, which had been the case for certainly all the way up until about four or five years ago. Yeah, I mean, Junior's been great the last couple of seasons that he's been at Oregon. Um, you know, getting guys like Tez Johnson in the transfer portal, getting guys like Jerion McClellan and then Pelham, uh, Keevan Gresham. Um, you know, these are kind of getting Kyler Casper originally in that 2022 cycle. Um, he's been great. Uh, he honestly deserves a raise. Uh, Oregon would, would, would honestly probably like to keep him around for a more, couple more years at this point. Um, but I, yeah, I really like McClellan. I like him a lot more than I like Pelham, but that's more of like a personal preference thing. I was like the bigger body receiver rather than a slot guy. I think that they're, they're just more, uh, important to an offense, uh, similar to how Troy Franklin was this season. Obviously, Tez Johnson was great towards the stretch, and Oregon has an offense that will utilize a slot receiver better than most. Um, but I think McClellan is is similar in terms of potential productivity as freshman year as Jurion Dickey. It's just really interesting because Oregon only has like four riders, four wide receivers a year who play. And but these guys are talented enough to see the field freshman year. It's just, will they understand the playbook? Will they understand the offense? Will they, um, you know, get some weight up, transition themselves in the college football level, and then see the playing field over guys who are already in front of them? Um, I think McClellan has a chance because Oregon's X receiver is pretty thin right now, and there's not really a good option to go and replace Troy Franklin. And maybe it is a combination of Jurion Dickey and Kyler Casper and McClellan um, as three guys who are relatively unproven and – they you know can formulate a way to win, but I like him. He's got above average speed. It's not breakaway speed. It's not Pelham speed, but um, he can surely take the top off when necessary. And he's a bigger possession receiver. Um, if Ohio State and Brian Hartline are going after you as a receiver hard, you're a good receiver. I mean, they've had such an elite track record over the last seven, eight years with receivers and Hartline as their uh, wide receiver coach. Like. You you have to. This is like a blind trust in Ohio State, which is weird since we're covering Oregon. But you blind trust Ohio State when they take a wide receiver and they wanted McClellan bad. Uh, Pelham is just a slot guy. It's 5'11", 170 pounds, um, which I think is important for Oregon because they Gary Brown Jr. is kind of a slot guy who played Z at points this season as well. They don't really have like a backup backup slot guy. Um, it might be. I, justice, I just, justice, justice low is who i would name yeah but he's kind of an x he's kind of a z he kind of floats him around like he was playing z during the spring game which is really the only time where we really got to see him 
But, you know, they lose Chris Hudson and Josh Delgado to the transfer portal, which I know were non-factors this past season, but those are your third your third string slot receivers uh, behind Tez and Gary Bryant. So um, Pelham fills that role, and he's more than just filling of a role. He's a talented player in his own right. Um, he's a top 100 recruit on the 247 Sports Composite, you know, top 200 recruit in the top 247. Um, big get, obviously, over USC, but a guy who – you know, possesses 11, I think he ran an 11.09 100-meter dash as a high school uh, track guy. Um, he's got the speed. He's got the wiggle. He's got the acceleration to be a really good slot receiver, but uh, two big-time additions. And then Gresham is just – I'm not sure what position he's going to be on the field, but I think with like a year or two in a strength room, I think he can be a, become another big-body possession receiver. I like his length. I like his hands and his athleticism. Um, he's just – I'm not sure where he's going to be on the field, but it'll either be X or Z. Uh, and I think he can be an impact guy in his year two or year three. Maybe it was just him just talking and not really meaning it, but Dan called him one of his favorite recruits um, yeah. on, on Wednesday. Like he doesn't do that though. Like he doesn't really ever single out guys. And that's why I was going to just mention that. I thought that was interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And back to Eric's point, I actually had the same thought Eric about just, where Oregon kind of is in the hierarchy of college football, because I was thinking of the Maluga stuff that you were referencing, but also of like just the other fan bases perception kind of that of what USC was like in 2000 to 2008 under Pete Carroll, where it was didn't really matter how many linebackers USC had they always seemed to go at the last minute and steal one and schools would always complain and if you went and looked at Arizona's message boards on signing day when when Gresham sent his letter of intent in the reaction was what why is he going there they already have two or three other receivers they're, they're loaded there why do they have to have another receiver what what is happening why why can't Arizona get one and then like to to what you said about USC just coming in at the last second and just stealing one of the best players from your class. Like that's what Oregon did to USC. And it, I had the same kind of just memory or thought of just this, this is different. This is unexpected. And it kind of just a sign of just where this program has come. Um, I, I think all three guys probably see the field in some capacity and I, I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but um, do we think they add a portal guy now? I, no, looking at the numbers of the scholarships, looking at how many guys they've added, like I think they try, but I don't know if it, it's become a necessity now. Unless Jurion Dickey is incredible in the bowl game, I still think you want to find a, somebody who used a reliable yeah. outside receiver. You know, I mean, because we should say Trayshawn and Gary are both back. Both those guys had moments, but I, and they're both experienced, right? And that's kind of what you'd want. But I still think losing a player like Troy and either standing pat or expecting a redshirt freshman to really elevate to that level, mm -hmm. I just think that's a big right. ask. That's a big ask to me. Um, so I think you still look at the portal guy, but. Again, maybe maybe Jurion has just made incredible strides, and he's going to come out in the Fiesta Bowl and, and have 140 yards receiving. Everyone's going to say, "Oh, they're set." But outside right. of that, I think you still have to take a look. And I think adding at least one outside receiver is the minimum to me. Yeah, like like I've like we've said on every single podcast of the offseason, like they need to add somebody to replace Troy Franklin, and it doesn't have to be exactly Troy Franklin because you're replacing like a second round pick, most likely in the NFL draft, but it needs to be somebody who's 
bigger body to the true X receiver who can get up and go get the ball and fill the role that Troy Franklin did. And maybe it's Dickey, but if it was, we would have seen him throughout the year. Like, I, I think it's just kind of as simple as that. Matt, I remember you at the beginning of the season saying five-star receivers don't come here to sit for a season. And that's exactly what Jurion Dickey did. So, and obviously he was you know, rehabbing an injury that he came into to college with and played in a couple games, but you know, it, it would probably be a lot to expect that he's going to come in and immediately fill that X position role. Um, so that I still think they need to hit the transfer portal and really get an impact guy there. Um, because there's just too much, like I was going through with McClellan, there's too much uncertainty. There's a lot of question marks at the X position right now. Now, moving just over to tight end, uh, Oregon added a couple guys at this position. Um, Four-star tight end, Roger Salapaga. Um, they also added A.J. Pugliano. Um, and Roger is one that I'm curious about because maybe this is a, a guy that he's rated as a receiver by 24-7 sports. Maybe Oregon views him as that outside receiver, that, that bigger guy he's six foot four 222 pounds so he's probably not nearly as fast as what Troy Franklin was but um it's an interesting discussion at least um is this part of the solution is it not a solution I don't know but they've added two um it's a position that Jared has talked about at length for needing multiple players they've added two and we'll see if more come into the fold we still don't know what Terrence Ferguson is choosing to be doing as well, mind you. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big question. Uh, I think Saliapag is a long term solution potentially as a hybrid player because I think he could play tight end or uh, some sort of receiver. Like I, I hate to make the comparison because it's a, it's not a fair one at all, but like the Brock Bowers sort of role where it's like kind of a, again like a hybrid position player. Um, but Saliapag is not a player that I think is going to be seeing the field right away. I don't feel that way really about Cugliano. I feel less confident about Pugliano probably making an impact soon than I do Saliapaga. Um, I, I think this is a player who, with talking about Saliapaga now, where I think he could be a really high-end receiving weapon at some point during his career, just because he's special with how he attacks the ball and the size and the skill set he has. My concern there is how he gets himself open because I don't see that explosiveness. And certainly if we're talking about as a, like a true outside receiver, that's a big part of that job. And I don't know if I see that sort of stuff there, which is why I think he's more of a tight end where you, you run him into situations where he has green grass or he has size advantages and you just throw it up to him, which is what he did a lot at Orem High School down in Utah. I really like the upside here, but I don't expect, like remember Kenyon Sadiq, we were talking about last year, going kind of back to Jared's point of like, what we were saying about true freshmen to start the season, we thought he was going to be a pretty big part of the offense, or at least a player who would play a decent amount. And by the second half of the season, he was only playing special teams, basically. So I don't have a ton of confidence that either of these true freshmen play much at all as true freshmen, unless Ferguson leaves and like Casey Kelly calls it a career and, it, and sort of the position group unravels. But as things are currently constructed, I think these are, are long-term ads, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if either – or both players redshirted in 24. Yeah, if the position group unravels, then they're just going to go get tight ends in the transfer portal, which is kind of similar to what they did last year after Cam McCormick and Malik Imadabao left. Um, they needed just another bigger body guy. Um, I expect both these guys to redshirt. I like Salia Paga. 
I think he's very clearly a tight end. I think that he just, did, like Eric said, doesn't have the explosiveness or the agility or the acceleration to really be a threat on the outside. Um, and like I was saying with Moga, like sometimes those are things that people are just, you know, that's their God-given gift. It's their natural ability to be able to do that. Um, it's not Salia Pagas. Like, will he get better at it in the strength and conditioning program at Oregon? Yeah, most likely. Um, but he's going to be somebody who fills that Kenyon Sadiq role as a smaller, quote-unquote, tight end that is more of a pass catcher who can block, who can do everything else. But it's going to be a similar um, type of player to Sadiq. I, Sadiq is the, the better athlete um, and the, the better size. and he, he has some of those acceleration tools where he could be like – somebody who is actually used in the perimeter. But um, I think they're going to be similar molds. I think Pugliano has the better frame to add more weight, um, become a guy who is like Patrick Herbert, um, you know, that six foot four, six foot five, and can add to 240, 245. Um, but obviously that takes some time. Um, I just, uh, I think as a tight end group, this is fine. You have to add guys. And I think these can become contributors down the road. But going into freshman year, I think they're both going to redshirt and that's, that's fine because at this point, you return Ferguson, you return Kelly, you, recur- you return Herbert, you return Sadiq. Um, that's solid, and I would expect you know Sadiq's development over the offseason that he's going to have a larger role and probably take some of those Herbert and Kelly snaps. So then, four deep is exactly what you want. Six scholarship tight ends. I mean, I'm a happy camper. So I think that's fine that they're going to redshirt. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that they both have upside in the future, but it's just not now. Can I can I pose a quick question, Matt? Really quick. I yeah. just want, is it does it? It stands out to me. I was just talking, thinking this through as Jared was talking. Maringer seems to have a type. If you just look at the tight ends he's added from a prep level, like he's not going after, or at least they haven't signed the traditional Patrick Herbert or Terrence Ferguson sized players who are like six five, six six, and come in at 230, 240. Like I don't know. It's kind of interesting to me looking at it now. The last two years they've signed three tight ends and they've all been. Kind of like 6'3", 220 to two thirty guys who played tight end, basically only as seniors in high school or maybe not even at all, and primarily played receiver. I don't know, just something to kind of think about. I don't know what that says necessarily. I mean, I guess it speaks to the value they see in in getting receiving contributions out of the tight end room. But the last three guys they've signed at that spot are all similar physically and kind of have similar, I would say things they need to work on, which is actually becoming a tight end and working on blocking. I don't know. It's just something that I thought of. I wonder if that's part of the long-term plan of what this offense will be under. Like, obviously, Maringer was here before Stein was, but Stein, the tight end wasn't used nearly as often as it was here at Oregon, at UTSA. Um, So I'm wondering if it's just like a – if Oregon, even when Dan just got hired, his initial idea was is we've got a lot of traditional tight ends on the roster. We'll use them, but we'll start phasing them out of the program because in two or three or four years, the offense will look drastically different and the usage of the tight end will look drastically different from what they're asked to do. Maybe that's an answer to your question. All right, uh, let's shift over to now the offensive line, um, a position group where, <clears throat> excuse me, the Ducks were able to sign four guys. We should also note they added a transfer portal guy, so the number is actually five. Um, two four-star prospects from the high school ranks and one in which 
Shaq McCroy, they had to wait until signing day to see if he was going to stick with his longtime commitment or flip to the Colorado Buffaloes. He had taken an official visit a couple weeks prior to signing day. Ducks had to swept that one out, but he very passionately made it clear he was not signing with Colorado on, on signing day, put the Colorado hat on, and then quickly violently threw it off and then put the Oregon hat on. Um, massive human being, six foot eight, 365 pounds. He's one of Oregon's highest rated commits on the offensive side of the football. Fox Crater is a U.S. All-American. Um, he's also just outside the top 200, the 202nd best player, plays his prep football at Evergreen High School in Vancouver. And he's the starter of three interior or three linemen from basically Oregon. Devin Brooks from Clackamas, Trent Ferguson from West Salem, uh, also signed with the Ducks, two three-star players. Ferguson's a long-term project. Um, Devin Brooks is an interior offensive lineman. And then the portal ad was Matthew Bedford, who we've talked about, a multi-year starter coming out of Indiana. I, I was saying this yesterday at the press conference. Can you imagine being 6'8", 365 as a teenager? I can't imagine being that large ever in life, but at that age. Um, and you watch the tape, and he carries it better than you could imagine. I mean, he is big and he's athletic. I mean, I think there's a ton to work on here technically, and these big guys oftentimes don't bend great and have issues with, I don't know, kind of getting out of their stances slow and getting overpowered by smaller players and stuff. So like there's some, certainly some technical stuff to work on, but just from a physical traits perspective, like this is about as good as it gets in terms of size, athleticism, feet, and what he could be. Cause I'd imagine and maybe I'll be wrong. I'd imagine this is a, a right tackle who you see playing closer to like 320, 330. I can't imagine they want him to stay over 350. That's just humongous. You see some players like that, but not a lot. Um, but this is a guy who it's not going to be in 2024 where he's a starter, but it could be as soon as 2025. Like he could be on the Josh Connerly, Ayapani Lalalu kind of plan where as a true freshman, he plays a fair amount and then a sophomore, a, no, a starting job opens and he fills it. Um, that's an outcome I could see here. And I don't typically say that about offensive linemen, but I, I do really like what I see from him. And then the in-state trio, if you will, I like all these guys. Actually, I think Brooks is the player, strangely, just watching the film that for whatever reason I kind of gravitate to most just because I think he's really explosive and and has a strong core for an inside lineman, uh, 6'4", 290 already. Again, not expecting any of the other three to probably play super soon, but I could see Brooks being somebody who we look back in a couple of years and say, oh, wow, he's like a rotational guy as a redshirt sophomore, and after that maybe he's a starter. I, I see the upside there of just his physical traits I think will translate, and it's not anything flashy, but he's big, strong, and athletic, and – Six four two ninety doesn't hurt coming out of high school. So I like all three of these guys from an in-state perspective. Ferguson's going to be one that's interesting to see develop because that's a that's a guy who maybe doesn't you don't hear a peep from until year four or five even just because he has a lot of work to do to to kind of figure out this stuff again. If you don't know the story, uh, a basketball player, lacrosse player, as Dan said on signing day mm -hmm. special, who's uh, now kind of focusing his attention on football the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I like this group. Um, McCoy obviously is the guy who leads it the way. 
He reminds me of George Silva, but he's 18. George Silva was, you know, 19 or 20 coming into college, um, lost a bunch of weight. Oregon listed on that six seven three twenty. So to Eric's point, this is not a guy you you want in the 360s. You want him down to that 320, um, maybe 330, but most likely 320, 315. And he has the frame to do it. Um, I really like watching his tape. He's really fluid and athletic for a guy of his size and, frankly, magnitude. Um, everybody's seen the clip of him on Twitter, of him, of him catching the two-point conversion. Um, like, that's the type of athleticism, and he's probably carrying too much weight. And you get him in for a full offseason in a weight room with, with Coach Love, like I've talked about before. You know, you add to his strength. You add to his athleticism. You add to his footwork by being lighter weight. Um, he's a guy who, like Eric said, could be a real contributor in 2025 and um, could certainly see the playing field this year if it's just for four games to keep his redshirt season. Um, for the other guys, I really like what I see from Ferguson. But, again, he's a guy who's going to be a developmental player, kind of like Moga, um, kind of like maybe Pugliano uh, in a couple of years who needs to learn how to play the position more. But he's got, like, natural athleticism that I think is a good – you know, kind of like a lottery ticket to take, um, kind of similar to what, you know, Oregon did with their offensive line in 2022, where there's a lot of guys who were like three-star recruits. You kind of take like a little lottery ticket, get them some development with some real real teachers. Um, same with the 2019 team, where it's like, and again, a lot of three-star kids, um, a lot of lottery tickets who have some good natural abilities, like their athleticism, and then they fully develop into four-year, four-year starters. Um, but I think Fox Crater is another guy who I, I, I'm really high on. I like Brooks, too. He's a, I think he's just a guard. That's what he's going to be, and that's okay. He's going to be a full-time guard at the college Agreed. level. Yep. And he plays physical, and I like that. Um, he reminds me of a dude who I think like Mario Cristobal would love. He's just a physical guard, and that's, that's fine by me. But Crater is really interesting to me because um, I think he does a really good job, and I think he's undersized. Even though he's six foot six, he's sitting there like 270, 285. And you put 20, 30 more pounds on the reverse of McCroy. Um, that's a really good size tackle. And, and worst case, I think that's a really good size guard um, because he has the athleticism. I'm not sure if he has the agility, the acceleration to really move around on the outside, but I would really like him as a prospect. And uh, I thought he improved a lot from his, we saw him like junior year at Saturday Night Live or going into his junior year. Uh, and then watching his senior film, I thought he improved a lot from that. So I think it's a good group. I think it's very solid that Oregon's keeping some kids at home and in the general area, and then McCroy is kind of the cherry on top. It happened so long ago that I think a lot of people forget Crater's commitment. He committed very early in the process for Oregon, and then yep. Oregon had to sweat out him taking official visits to Oklahoma and USC. They had to sweat him out going down to Texas for a visit mm-hmm. and being really serious with them. He had to, they had to sweat out a Georgia visit and dealing with that one as well. All these schools have offered it, by the way. Uh, LSU offered him a scholarship. Yeah. A&M offered him a scholarship. Washington offered him a scholarship. He committed so long ago. I, this is one that if all these visits and all these discussion points happened in – September, October, November, and he committed at some point following you know the middle of November up until signing day. This would be like lauded as one of the biggest gets of the class just because of who they had to compete against, who they had to fend off to keep his commitment. 
but because it happened all the way back in February to like April or May, it's kind of forgotten about. Like, I think this is a really big deal for Oregon. It's a, it's a, it's a tackle that frankly, I don't know. I was going to ask you guys this question too. Like, do we think either of any of these offensive linemen, excluding Bedford, because he's going to play probably even start. Um, do, do we think these guys at all carve out a role as true freshmen or do we look at the depth chart that they've got and say they're good with Ope, they're good with Dave Uli, they're they're good with um, maybe Janoris Wilson or, or Nashad Strother, um, they're good with Kawika Rogers and just redshirt all four of these guys? Or does one or two maybe find their way into the depth chart in some capacity? They're not going to start. That's that's no not- one starting. Yeah, no one's starting. Ferguson's definitely a red shirt. I think Brooks is a red shirt. I think Crater's a red shirt. I think McCroy is the only one where I could see if he's really, like, if he really fixes. I don't want to say fixes because that makes it sound like he's broken. But if he really reconstructs his body and gets to a place where he's healthy, I could see him pushing to be one of the first tackles off the bench, kind of a spot. But I also think it's probably too much to ask for him to exactly be the Josh Connerly thing where he is the sixth lineman immediately. I'm not sure, but I, yeah, I, I'd say probably not, but McCroy would be your best bet. I do think, as I said earlier, McCroy could be a guy who's looking at a starting spot as soon as 25, just because of the way the roster works out. But I don't know. I, I guess the question is like, do you think McCroy could be better than Silva Rogers and Faope right away? And I don't know if the answer is, a resounding yes to me, but I think there's a possibility. I, I think they all redshirt. I think it's a resounding no that he's better than the three that you mentioned. Um, I think Silva, Faiope, and Kavika Rogers are all better than him going into his freshman year. I mean, they all have years of experience on him. They all have more college-ready bodies. They, I mean, Kavika was the highest tackle off the bench, uh, more than Silva and more than Faiope. Um, so I think he, he, it's way more likely that he redshirts than um, finds a role and, and uses up his redshirt. I, I think he'll play in games, don't get me wrong, but um, I, I think that all four of them redshirt. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some departures from the offensive line room after the after the bowl game, but who knows? I, I just think that they all redshirt. I'll be the opposite. I'll say one of them plays, and it'll be one of the tackles. Um, Crater or, or McCroy. Um, but I don't think it's going to be 13 games. It'll be like six or seven games. And, and, and maybe it's injuries that, that force one of them on. I mean, Oregon was extremely lucky this past season with injuries up, up front along the offensive line. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into the defensive side of the football for Oregon's 2024 recruiting class. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, this is going to be a long podcast, so strap in, because we're 40 minutes in. We're just now touching on defense. Um, defensive line, front seven. Uh, yet again, surprise, surprise, Dan Lanning loaded up, and as he should, but there are more guys coming to the defense of line. And it's headlined by a couple five-star players, Um Aiden Breland is Oregon's highest rated commit, the 16th best player in the country, the number one player in the state of California, the fourth best defensive tackle uh, in or defensive lineman, I should say, in the country. Um, we'll also touch on players that sign with Oregon up front, which includes uh, Zadian Sims, a, a four-star defensive lineman from Durant, Oklahoma, um, Tion Gray, uh, three-star defensive lineman from Hazelwood Central High School in Missouri. Um, edge players includes five-star Elijah Rushing, a former Arizona commit who committed during the season to the Ducks, 17th best player in the country, the number two player at his position nationally, and also another player out of the state of Arizona on the edge, and that's Jackson Jones, uh, a SAC specialist from Yuma Catholic, a very small school in eastern Arizona. Five guys up front, four with the Ducks, um, and probably not done yet. We're waiting on Jericho Johnson's commitment, and by the time you listen to this, maybe it's Friday, and potentially probably committed to the Oregon as well. Yeah, Jericho's announcing fairly late Thursday evening. I think it's 7. Um, you guys can correct me if I got that wrong, but uh, if we, I'm just going to lump him into this group because I think the odds are pretty high. I, I love this class. I think this is awesome. <laughs> like, I mean, to go out, and I mean, I, it was one of the questions I asked Dan, but thank you again, Coach Lanning, for, for jumping on the pod on, on Wednesday during a very busy day. We really appreciated that. But just the fact that they are, with Johnson in the fold, would have the three best defensive linemen on the West Coast, that's, that's dang impressive. I know USC and UCLA and Washington, some of the other schools here aren't at the same I don't want to say recruiting level, but they're you're kind of finding their footing right now, and Oregon's maybe taking advantage of some of that. But that's not a thing that really happens, where you get all the good defensive linemen on your coast in one cycle. And I love the fact that you could play all three of those guys together really easily because they all play very different positions. Like 
Jericho Johnson is going to be a straight up nose tackle. Like I, I think, I think we list him at 300 pounds, but I remember Huffman was on in the last couple months and said he thought he was closer to like 330. Um, so this is a big boy. Um, Aiden Breland is, I think, kind of like a Brandon Dorless type of player long term in terms of there's going to be some positional versatility. I don't know if he's ever quite athletic enough to do some of the stuff Brandon did in terms of standing up on the outside. But even if he's just like a traditional um, defensive tackle primarily, like he's going to be a game wrecker. He is so athletic and can really just run through players and we'll see how much of that translates. And then rushing is, and Jones, I like both those guys as, as pass rushers. Like Jones obviously doesn't have the same physical tools rushing has. I mean, rushing is going to be a guy who at Oregon's probably playing at 6'6", 275, 280, which is, just primo size and athleticism for that edge kind of a spot. So I love all of that. Um, again, I think Jackson Jones is quietly really, really good. And I don't know if there's immediate playing time to be had in part because this last class had three guys who played immediately. And is he better than any of those three guys? But I think it's a heck of a haul. And you see what you're building here now, stacking back-to-back classes where you went and hit really, really heavy on the defensive line. And you can retain this group and build around them for two or three years. Like Oregon could have a really, really dominant kind of almost homegrown defensive front come 2025, come 2026. And that would be obviously really significant going into the big 10 where you're going to be playing in the trenches. And I think, you know, Dan has kind of downplayed some of at least with some of the interviews he did yesterday, the, the impact of going to the big 10 in terms of the strategy of recruiting, of needing to get bigger boys and everything. But, it's pretty clear that they're going to be set up well for that component of playing in the Big Ten with the way they're recruiting in the trenches. Yeah, this class, I mean, it really doesn't get much better on the defensive front. Um, obviously, all the five stars, but there's the loads of talents. Davian Sims, number one player in Oklahoma. Uh, Tiani Gray is an, a, another bigger body who could develop well. He could develop into somebody like a Keon Ware Hudson. Um, who's maybe not the star of the show, but he's certainly going to help you down the line, especially in the Big Ten, like Eric just ran through. Um, I mean, my favorite guy in this class has to be rushing, um, at least for the defensive front. I have like a fan favorite. My Blake purchase of this year is going to be later on in the show, but rushing is just uh, just a monster physically. Um, you look at his stats, and the stats show up, um, but he like you know he should be doing that against the type of competition he's playing. Like this goes to my earlier point about uh, Dewan Riggs and the competition he plays. Uh, although, you know, Elijah Rushing plays better competition. He plays some of the better high schools in Arizona, but he is one of the more physically gifted players we've seen in a long time. Um, I'm not sure if there's anybody I can directly compare him to uh, that has crossed paths at Oregon in the last couple of years because um, he's – I guess he kind of fits the Kayvon Thibodeau billing, but I think Kayvon Thibodeau was like an, you know, one of the all-time athletes to ever come through Oregon. But – same idea where he comes in that six five six foot six frame um, and is going to be able to add another twenty pounds to his frame and be in that two seventy range like Eric talked about um, and then Breland on the interior like I, this is an excellent class and the assumption is that Jericho Johnson joins it and that makes it even better um, I don't think that there's ever been a talent um, you know, bringing together of talent like Dan Lenny just did in this defensive class at Oregon ever um, and they're all going to be really impact guys. I don't know if it's just going to be, I don't know how much of an impact it'll be in year one, except for a couple of guys, but like Eric mentioned, you know, down the line, two, three years of development, 
I guess what was that be like the 2028 NFL draft? Like there should be some names under consideration of going for sure from this class if they all stick around. I think rushing is going to have a very similar career arc to what a Kenny Rowe had at Oregon. Um, and the fact that Rowe showed up in 2007, he was like, that was the time when top 200 players committing to Oregon was a really big deal. Yeah. And he was one of those guys. And he was a, he was a defensive end. It was a guy that one of the very early wins over USC. And you saw him as a freshman, and it was like, he's going to have a really good career. But as a freshman, he had basically one job. And it was, I'm going to be an elite pass rusher. I'm going to play in every single game, but it's going to be limited snaps. But I'm going to make plays when I do get on the field. He had five sacks out of eight total tackles in 13 games as a freshman. And I, rushing is obviously bigger than than what Kenny Rowe was. Rowe was a six foot three, 210 pound defensive end. But I think you look at Kenny Rowe's career path and he ended his career with 23 and a half sacks. He's one of Oregon's best defensive ends ever. I'm not going to say rushing is going to end up being, you know, Oregon's best defensive end, but that's kind of be the career path for him of you have one specific role as a true freshman in 2024. And then it expands a little bit in 2025. And into what Jared said, maybe in 2026 or 2027, your opportunities to do everything um, are very, you know, are, are, are endless and you're asked to do a whole bunch of stuff within the defense as an upperclassman. And I think that's probably going to be said for a lot of these guys that they're going to have one specific role if they play in, in, as a true freshman in 2024, but it'll expand as the years go on. It's funny you brought up Kenny Rowe's name because I thought of him watching Jackson Jones's tape a little bit just because they're yeah. both a little undersized, like six, they're about the same size, 6'3", about yeah. 220. I get your point, though, in terms of the career arc. I think that's a fair point. I just think I thought of him as well with, with Jackson Jones in terms of the physical tools. Yes, and Jackson fits that way better than right. uh, rushing because rushing is 6'6", 245 right now. That's an entirely different body type than what uh, Roe was coming in. All right, um, let's now move to linebacker, a, a position where uh, the Ducks have been able to sign some players, a lot of players, for the number of guys that play in this position, four. Um, Braden Platt is the highest-rated player from Yelm, Washington. He's a, almost a top 50 player in the country, the 53rd best prospect nationally, the number one player in the state of Washington, Kamar Mothudi top 200 player overall um, Kingston Lopa from Grant Union High School in Sacramento um, he's rated as a linebacker by 24/7 sports but he could play other positions we'll touch on him here in a second and then Dylan Williams uh, former USC commit early on as an underclassman flipped his commitment in the summertime or I think the springtime or so to the ducks uh, a four-star guy from Long Beach Poly High School. This is a really good group, uh, a bunch of different body types, a bunch of different types of linebackers. And frankly, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if all four of these guys have some kind of significant role within two years of being on campus at Oregon. Um, and 
the, the wild card, the interesting one, and let's start with it, is is Lopa. Where does he fit? What does he play? He's ultra versatile. I think, Eric, you asked him, uh, Dan about that. Um, it's an interesting case study that, that they're going to do with this guy. Yeah, it sounds like he's a safety um, to start. Um, he spoke about the fact that they did have positional versatility there, talked about how he was a good wide receiver in high school as well, said he could also probably play some of that star um, position, which kind of interests me, of like a 6'5", let's say he's 210 and he's playing star. Like That's kind of an intriguing possibility. Um, I, I mean, I, we maybe want to talk about him more in the safeties, defensive backs group, I don't know. But, I mean, if we're doing it now, I – He's one of my favorite. He's one of my guys. Like he's one of my favorite players to watch. If you just go watch the film, because he just wrecks people with his size and explosiveness mm-hmm. and his desire to decleat and just smash into people at full speed. Like there's a lot of stuff to like with him. Um, very intriguing in terms of the, the fact that he could play different spots. But I think Dan made it pretty clear he's a defensive back. He's a safety yeah. to start his career, and we'll see if that changes. Um, to the other guys, I mean, Braden Platt, my gosh, like that probably is my favorite tape to watch in this class from the defensive side, I guess, specifically. Like, he is really, really well. He, he physically already looks like a guy who could play just based upon size, explosiveness, understanding of what he's doing, how he brings players down and the consistency with which he does that. Um, I, I'm a big Braden Platt guy and, you know, I, I, we'll see how the linebacker rotation kind of sorts itself out, but there could be available playing time for him sooner than later. If you just kind of look at it and figure, okay, assuming Jeff and Justin are both back. Those are your top two guys. There's a couple of guys behind him who have played a a decent amount, but I'm not sure if anyone's popped enough for you're like, Oh, they're the number three or the number four guy for sure. Like, I don't know, Jared, do you you think Devin Jackson is a hundred percent ready to be the number three or, I mean, he was number four basically all season long with Bryce Betcher. Um, yeah. And they had Jerry Mixon as well. I just think that there's four or five solid linebackers in front of all of these guys. But um, I see your point with, with Platt. I really like him as well. Um, I think he needs to lose a little bit of weight. I think he's almost uh, probably a little too big to run the linebacker scheme that Oregon wants him to run, um, kind of like that Noah Sewell role where – you know, he's really good going north to south, but you need to go east to west in this defense, um, which is why, like, I think Kamar Mathudi is a guy who um, could excel. I don't I don't think any of these guys are really going to play too terribly much, barring injuries their freshman season. Um, I don't really think that's a bad thing. Um, Dan did mention the opportunity for these guys to play special teams in his press conference, which um, which could, you know, make them lose their red shirt this year if they, if they do play special teams. But as far as linebackers go, I still think that the four or five that Oregon has already, um, that you got to get over that hump. And maybe Platt takes the Bryce Fetcher role. Um, but I thought Bryce was fine. I thought he was a little bit above average in his limited role as more of a, just a straight run-stopping linebacker rather than putting him into coverage. Um, but I still think Devin Jackson is there. I thought Devin was much better this season than he was last year. Uh, I think he got a got plenty of reps and showcased his speed and athleticism. I still think that he can, you know, perform well in that money linebacker position. But Platt is he's a Mac linebacker all day. And he's gonna he could potentially fill in for Jacobs in twenty five easily. I I just think at a certain point some of the talent will rise to the top. And I know 
true freshmen, it's hard to project some of it, but we did just come off a year where a lot of true freshmen actually played. And I do think some of these guys are good enough to make contributions right away. And it, that's the hard part though, is we're talking about this today and who knows how this is going to shake out and will happen from a portal perspective. But Platt's a guy that I think could contribute day one. Now, what role is that? I'm not sure. But I also, I, I don't know. I wasn't maybe as high on Betcher's play. Um, and Devin was kind of dinged up at times. So I think there's a real possibility Platt plays. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to supersede those guys right away, but I, I think the talent is available there. I think the backups that Oregon has returning at the linebacker position have the upper hand on these freshmen, but I don't think the returners are above and beyond better than these guys that they're just automatically going to get the job. Like, they're going to have to go out and – fall camp and spring football and the offseason work and fend these guys off. And most of them probably will. Maybe one emerges from the four and plays as a true freshman in some role. But I don't think any of the the backups behind um, Bossa and Jacobs have shown us where we definitively are like, yes, that guy is – he is the he is the number three clear-cut guy. I think all – and that's 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 nothing wrong, in my opinion. That's, that's not a bad thing, um, but I just I think the door is open, and this is what you do when you get to this level of football. Um, you recruit elite players every single year, and everyone has to fight for a job. No, it doesn't matter how good you were the year before. Yeah, I just it, again, this goes to uh, relying on true freshmen to be immediate impact guys, and. Like you said, Matt, they got to go through fall and spring and go through the wave room. Um, the nice thing for the returners is that they've done it for two or three years. Like All the freshmen have to go and, and do it themselves this time around. I'm not saying any of these guys won't be uh, immediate contributors. Um, I just think that, you know, there's there's only a couple. I think there's really like one spot to fill because I, I liked what I saw from Jerry Mixon as well. I think he could be a guy that's a bigger contributor next year that takes over that Bryce Betcher role because he came in at 225 pounds um, as a true freshman, or at least he was listed at like 220. So you add another 10, 15 pounds onto him. He takes that Mac, that backup Mac linebacker role. Well, Devin Jackson returns at the money. Um, so I just think that there's, there's a lot of talent now in that linebacker room considering where they were two seasons ago. Um, and bringing in three, again, really talented linebackers in their own right um, certainly helps. All right. Uh, secondary, do we want to go cornerbacks only and then safeties, or do we just want to lump them all together? Let's lump them. Okay. Yeah, we can lump them all. Uh, they've signed four technically at this position, five if we want to count. Kingston Lopa, 24-7 Sports has Lopa rated as a linebacker. That's why we I included him. He's, he's rated as a safety, too. I think uh, yeah. either the top 247 or the or the composite has him as a linebacker for some reason. It's weird. Um, but nonetheless, they've got four or five guys, five guys. Um, Lopa, Dakota Fields is a top 100 guy, a player that committed to USC during the high school summer season of, of his senior year. And then flip to Oregon. Uh, Aaron Flowers is an elite safety from Texas, almost a top 100 prospect. Sione Lalue, I think that's how you say his name. I've completely butchered it, probably. Um, Juco player, the number two player in the country at the Juco position, six foot four cornerback. Really interesting there. Um, I'm just going to say iffy on this one. 
uh, cornerback from Baltimore, St. Francis Academy, another four-star guy. And then on signing day, Dan didn't talk about it, but on signing day, they got a verbal commitment from Kobe Savage, uh, all Big 12 conference player from Kansas State. So a unit that has a lot of bodies coming in, some immediate impact guys. I think there's probably two of them here that we could say good chance that they're starting or they're the first guy off the bench at their position, plus an opportunity, frankly, for all of them to play some kind of role as true freshmen, maybe. Kobe Savage is a, is a, is a plug-and-play starter at one of the safety spots. I think we kind of already touched on that earlier in the week when it looked clear that was going to happen. I don't know if we have to touch on him any more than that. Um, Sayone Laulele. I don't know how to pronounce these Polynesian last names. Laulea. Laulea. L-A-U-L-E-A. Yeah. Laulea. Laulea. Um, I think he's got a really good chance to compete for starting reps somewhere in the secondary. Um, I tried to get Dan to talk about positionally where he worked, and I don't know if he totally took that that question head on and said he kind of gave us a background on Lalea. Um, but 6'4", moves really, really well. We already talked about it. It was a big-time Juco prospect. Oregon needs help at basically corner and safety. Um, mm -hmm. regardless of where he ultimately winds up. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's cross-trained because they do that with pretty much all of these guys. And I think Dan even alluded to that point during the, the answer, um, or maybe it was the Lopa answer. I, I think he's a contributor immediately. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's a starting corner or if he's a starting safety or wherever he fits. But I, I think you bring in a player like this and you hope that he's ready to go. Now, Oregon with the Juco's, doesn't always work immediately. Like we thought George Silva would probably play some kind of a role last year and he didn't, um, you know, but I, I, and even like a TJ Bass took a year to get there, but I, I really like Laulea and the upside he provides. And then I'll let Jared talk more about the two prep players that we haven't really gotten into um, fields and flowers, but those are elite, elite athletes for their positions and players who probably don't start, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if either of them are like having a Julial Florence true freshman season in 2022 or a Cole Martin mm -hmm. true freshman season in 2023, where they are in the rotation getting you know opportunities to prove themselves, and then the following year it kind of opens up even more. So I, I think both of those two guys will find a way to make contributions in part because the secondary has some talented players at the top, but there's a lot of question marks behind them. And a lot of the guys you're looking at that they'd be contending with for reps are also guys who really haven't proven a lot to this point. Yeah, it was certainly a good class to get a lot of secondary help when you have a lot of secondary question marks. Um, Dakota Fields is the highest rated cornerback that Oregon is, is bringing in this year. Um, Flowers is the highest rated safety. Uh, Fields is 6'2", 185, which is like, you look at uh, Oregon's last couple of classes under Dan Lanning and who he likes at the cornerback position. That's it. It's that six foot two, one hundred ninety pound role um, with length and athleticism. Usually a track guy, which Fields was. Um, I, I would expect Fields if to have a very similar position if Dale and Austin were healthy this past season. I think he would have been a guy who burns his red shirt, who comes in uh, whether it just be special teams or not, but um, who certainly makes an impact somewhere on the field. 
Um, Aaron Flowers could potentially be that too. I still think Oregon needs to look at going into the transfer portal for another safety or two, and maybe even a cornerback if they can land one of the elite ones. Um, because again, you don't want to over rely your defense on true freshmen um, because it could work, but there's a better chance of it not working. There's not a lot of teams that do that on a, on a day-to-day basis, but um, Flowers at safety could certainly be an option. Um, I really like Flowers' film. Dan went into him a lot uh, in his press conference. I think he's an underrated player. I think he had he had offers from some of the best teams in the country, like a lot of these cornerbacks did and safeties did. Um, but I I really like what I see from him. He could be a guy who's an immediate impact at the safety position, similar to what Cole Martin was this year. Assuming that Cole Martin is a guy that uh, starts next season, which could happen and could could not happen. Um, we won't know until probably next year, the first game of the year, because we won't be able to see anything during fall camp. But Cole Martin certainly put himself in a good position to be one of those guys next season. Um, and as far as the other corners, uh, do we want to jump into that too? As far as the other corners, um, Ippy Obadegwu is my guy. That's my Blake purchase of the year. Um, that's my Devin Jackson of two years ago of the year. Um he, I really like his tape. Uh, the only thing that concerns me with him is just his kind of natural um, athleticism and his bend. Um, I think sometimes he kind of has stiff hips. It's the ca- casualty of Tor that claimed Triquest Bridges a few times these past couple of years. Um, but man, I really like him. He comes downhill. He hits hard from the cornerback position. Um, you know, he played at SFA, St. Francis Academy in Baltimore, and that's a place that. Um, usually faces off against some of the best high school competition in the country. Um, so Obadegwu is my guy. I think he's uh, the most physically imposing cornerback that's coming into this class. Um, I think he'll make an impact, but I'm not a coach. It's it, – they did really – I mean, it, it's kind of silly, very simple to say, but this is a really good job. And we oh, talked about yeah. Junior Adams. We talked about All Junior it, Adams yeah. needing a pay raise, like – Meet went out and did it. Demetrius Martin did a really good job of landing the corners. And Hampton, Chris Hampton, Oregon's safeties coach, co-defensive coordinator, the the safeties that, that he was able to add to this mix. Um, they've definitively added at least one starter to the unit in Kobe Savage. And at minimum, they've added four or so, five guys that, could have some kind of role in 2023. And when you add guys that, whether they're freshmen and they're special teams guys, and maybe they're the fifth cornerback that that plays during games, like that's still a valuable piece and a a big deal to add in one single season. Um, So I, I think as much as we praise junior and much deserved. I think Demetrius Martin and Chris Hampton, Oregon's two safety or defensive back coaches also should get a shout out because this is a really good group that doesn't get nearly as much attention as the defensive line does. Can we give Tony Tuioti some credit too? Yes. I mean, absolutely. We have a, I mean the entire staff, staff has done a really good job. Yeah. I mean, Alik Terry. I'm just going to start naming people. Now. I'm just going to name all the coaches. Alik Terry. Um, I mean, Tosh, Tosh Lupoy. His yeah. involvements were pretty significant. I mean, I, this defensive class is awesome, just top to bottom. I mean, you look at it, you could build a pretty fascinating 11-player lineup out of this. And yeah. it would be a lineup that I'm not saying you would be able to play by any means now. But, like, if you were to fast forward – the picture two years in the future and say, 
these are your 11 guys and you expect the sort of development you would for these sort of prospects, you would be like, yeah, that's a pretty darn good group. Like that's the type of thing you see here. They hit every position on defense. They really did. Mm -hmm. And they hit most, most of them multiple times with high end talent. So be excited. This defensive class is really, really awesome. And, and like, I guess just parting thoughts I, I had yesterday and um, maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but this is the type of recruiting class and you stack it with the last couple that put you in a position to compete for the ultimate prize. I'm not saying that you're going to win a national championship in right now. That's hard to project and all that, but these are the type of classes you sign when you put yourself in position to make those kind of leaps, because this is a top five class for a reason. And again, they hit every position on defense. They hit, they added somebody to every position on offense or a couple spots there where I'm not sure if there's a ton of immediate contributors, which I don't know if you need. Um, but this is a really, really deep class that addressed a lot of needs with really high-end talent. So, um, and I don't know. We'll see how many guys play next year. Um, this past season, it was close to ten guys that were were playing significant snaps. I wouldn't be surprised if this class is is that end a little bit more, just because it's a, mm -hmm. a twenty-five, maybe twenty-six player class. With if they do sign Jericho Johnson, um, there's just a lot of a lot of things to like about this class. So. Um, I know that's not breaking any news, but I'm sure Oregon fans are really thrilled right now with the direction of, of where this class takes them. This is what you need to do to hit the next level. Uh, this is what Georgia and Alabama have done and Ohio State have done for years now. Um, that's what Texas A&M tried to do. didn't really work there. They didn't have the coach. But when you have the coach, when you have the facilities, when you have the support from your donors and your university, um, like Dan Lanning does have here at Oregon, um, this is what you have to do. You have to stack these recruits on top of each other. And everybody will argue that stars don't matter because an outlier team got in the college football playoff last year in TCU or something like that. Um, but they do. If you look at the blue chip ratio, um, happens every year, 24 seven sports. Uh, it's a, like a proven pattern that the more blue chips you have on your roster, the better your odds are of getting to the, to the college football playoffs. Um, and, Dan Lanning is trying to do that. He's trying to get as many blue chip guys as he can on this roster um, after the transfer portal season and guys coming in and out. I'll be very interested to see what that blue chip ratio is because there are a lot of blue chippers in this class. Um, my, I guess my last parting thought, Oregon signed more five-star recruits than Alabama in this cycle, which – do. Didn't think that ever would be a sentence we would we would say. Um, pretty, and in it, and you could argue, well, it's the composite, and the composite, Oregon's five stars rushing, and and Breland are no longer five stars, so maybe that in, inflates the number. And if you if you go to just our rankings, twenty four seven sports, it's still the same because Breland and rushing are five stars, and Oregon has thirteen, Alabama has twelve. Um, You're talking four stars, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. sorry. I think oh, you said five yeah, stars. Like, mm. Yeah, you said five stars. It's like uh, three is more than two. Breland and Breland and Russian go back to being five yeah. stars with just our rankings. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I. That just tells you where this class is at. To what Jared said, like this is this next step, the next evolution, the next tier you had to get to, and they've done it now once. Can they do it again and again? Because that's what makes you go from every other, every four or five years, me having a roster that could be constructed to compete for a title 
to having one every single year that can compete for a title. And that'll be the question. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for us on this longer edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back potentially next week, hopefully sometime next week. Uh, Jared and I will head down to Scottsdale for coverage of the Fiesta Bowl. We'll start diving into that a little bit next week as well here on the podcast and more recruiting fallout from what could potentially happen down the road the next couple of days for the Ducks. But until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.